Well, it's a dynamic duo, we'll be back again. Nothing back with DJ, you better pack it in. You're lacking sense, trying to tangle with us. Scoop of a big black booty's in the back of the bus to smack you. You're stealing your lunch, money to search. Ready to feel like just a touch. Only by the end of the day, that's understandable. What can I say? You got strong man to be. Mind, mind, Well, shall we start with the cricket? The fact that uh, Pat Cummins is a fucking coward. Well, that's what we should start with. It's it's sort of been like cultured out of the. the they, we sort of saw. I wouldn't exactly say it's been the, cultured out. I would say it's just been uh, embarrassed out because they're the only country to have, well, apart from England now, to have enforced the following and lost. But if your bowlers haven't bowled fifty overs on a flattening pitch, that's never going to have as much juice in it as as when you've just bowled out the opposition, as proven by the fucking collapse that Australia went on to, to have for 160-odd. Yeah. Uh, and that, that deck is just – because this is what happens with the, with the fucking basin. It gets flatter and flatter. Yeah. Eventually, it might start breaking up and taking a bunch of spin, but the best, and- the best opportunity to win that test match in, in a guaranteed way was to bowl again and knock them over. And they didn't do that, and now there's there's much more of a sniff of New Zealand sneaking out. They need 250 runs with seven wickets in hand on a flattening deck yeah. uh, on the fourth day. It's possible. Now, by the time you hear this, it's probably not possible because New Zealand might have New Zealanded it again. But why would you leave the fucking window open? Especially when you've got six good bowlers. Like Cameron Green and Mitch Marsh are not Steve Waugh and Michael Bevan. and like They're not part-time bowlers. They didn't like, bowl fucking 50 overs. Yeah. It was less than a one-day international. They used to play those back-to-back. <laughs> they put up the bowling figures and it literally looked like a one-dayer because everyone had everyone had bowled like, you know, 10 overs yeah, or so. And, and there, eight were, overs. there were five bowlers involved. Most of them had had a wicket. It was like, well, fucking what are we doing here? And the same goes for New Zealand's tactic, which is- which is, Well, it's what? not really a tactic. Sucking it's isn't just, a tactic. It's just a birthright. No, no, being the, absolute the, the, cowards against Australia and giving up and shitting the bed and running away, like they always do against Australia, because they've got some kind of mental deficiency. That's not a but, tactic. But why come back on day two and do the the classic spread the field uh, attack Hazelwoods? You know, spread the field. For, oh, I just, I just yeah. don't understand it. Like, like you gave five percent of deliveries are actually on the wickets, or maybe it was just five deliveries are actually on the wickets. It's just dumb as hell. Just dumb, like, dumb as hell cricket. Well, why wouldn't you just? Put a normal field in and attack for six overs. The first six overs of the game. Do you remember and what the ball was that that Hazelwood got off, got out from? He, uh, spo- he spooned a fucking. It was either an on drive yeah. or an off drive. Yeah, not not a short it. pitch ball. It was just yeah. he thought he was thought he was in his feelings, and he, it was a forward of the wicket shot to a full ball. Well, at that at stage, why would why wouldn't you if you're Hazelwood when you're but slapping fours a ball everywhere. on the lo- sort of length that would hit the fucking wickets, yeah. not under his armpit. It's just really dumb cricket. I'd love to know what Kimber thinks of that, and I'll probably know because he'll probably do one or two podcasts about it this week. But as long as you wade like, through all the fucking, you know, <laughs> IPL extended fucking squad pickup shit. No, I, 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 but actually, I, I had I had like one sided beef because he didn't respond. But leaving Maxwell out of the top five field, uh, the top fifteen fielders of all time is just like that. That dude changes games 
simply by being on the field all the time. Like I can remember, I think making an argument on this podcast that you could pick pick Maxwell just for the negative, you know, the negative runs scored you had from having him on the field. Like if he was, if he walked onto the field and that meant, you know, the fielding team picked up thirty extra runs, then surely he only has to score like twenty because that's a half century for him. So let me get um, this right: you have one sided beef with a Victorian cricket writer <laughs> over not being pro-Victorian enough. It seems impossible, doesn't it? It, it seems like the end times. It seems like a, a harbinger of the fucking apocalypse. It's, it's one-sided a, it's beef quite, is probably the title for this podcast, I suspect. It's 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 quite a funny podcast. That is top five cricket podcasts because. Um, one of the co-hosts picked Hansi Cronje as one of the top five captains of all time, and I was, I was just like, I, I, I appreciate that pick. That that's quite funny. That's that's good. Uh, it, well, he got he got the results it, it, he was looking for. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. We um, met Mohammed Azaruddin. Hey, where did he figure in there as well? Uh no, there was a bit of bit of Gangurli and. Um, it, it's it's interesting the like how much per, our perceptions of that sort of post Kim Hughes cricket era is because I mean the ones it, that we it, only know because of fucking books we were watching but we weren't really paying attention because we were fucking primary school. No, well that's that's the that's the pre Kim Hughes era, but like all the captains after Hughes. No, right? I would so, say that until until probably that Ashes tour, most of it, you know, you and I were yeah. under 10. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Even that even that Cricket World Cup, you and I didn't see a fucking ball of, of the Cricket World Cup they won no. in 87. And until, until and uh, to be fair, I didn't really see any of the Ashes either because it was on in the middle of the night. But my main memories of Australian cricket were getting the shit kicked out of us by West Indies in one day as and, and England in that Ashes tour of, of 1986. Yeah, I think 80, 86 was the first time I uh, – because we went to a one-dayer in Perth when we were over there for the America's Cup. Uh, the losing America's Cup. They actually the had a one-day series at the time of the America's Cup. It was some kind of fake World yeah. Cup. It was like the World Intercontinental Challenge or something. Uh, I don't know. We saw England – Pakistan, I think. Yep, at the yep. Wacker. That makes sense because I think that that summer it was actually in the the, the, the tri series, the Benton Hedges Cup was uh, in the India England Australia because I have a recollection of watching an England India game on TV after. Oh, it's just an obscure memory that I have. It's just, yeah. you know, sometimes you get these these fucking color memories that you you're yeah. like, why the fuck did this stick? You know, how, why do I remember this? But you know, I have a clear memory of this. Welcome so, back to our so basketball Kim- podcast. Yeah. Um, Kimber was big on tactics for Australian captains. So I think he had Taylor as the best, as the best sort of post Kim Hughes captain. But I just think, like, what Border had to do with a side that was like, like a beaten dog that, you know, just, just, did, just didn't want to do anything at all and built them up into. You know the sides that Taylor and Steve War and Michael Clark inherited. Like I don't think that's the that- job of the captain, though. That's the job of the coach. And to be fair, yeah, at that in that time, I there wasn't really a both. coach. There was a team manager in Bob Simpson, yeah. but you know there wasn't a there wasn't a coach. So that such as we know it now. So essentially, what Border did was a different job entirely because that that's shouldn't right. be in the remit that- of of a modern cricket captain. C- Cummins is not doing the same job that Alan Border did. That's absolutely for sure. No. Um, 
because Alan Border definitely he- would have fucking enforced the follow on and, and we would and the death would be over. By it's, that's already fucking grind them into the dirt. I just destroy them. He tossed the ball to somebody. <laughs> Craig McDermott steaming in, looking ginger and zinked. Actually, you, you know, you know who who uh, Alan Border would probably quite enjoy having a chat with in the basketball world is Tibbs. Tibbs playing Josh Hart thirty nine minutes in a in a game you're losing by fifteen, and Border just going, oh, I don't give a fuck about my bowlers. You guys can go again. Is very is the very same areas. The weird thing is that Border as a commentator isn't anywhere near there as as as. In fact, he's almost boring. You know, he's almost like yeah. Wally Lewis. Maybe it's something about Queensland uh, sports stars. They haven't really yeah. <laughs> they don't really say anything dramatic or confrontational. Well, I heard, I heard a post-day uh, interview with Nathan Lyon, and God, I hope that guy doesn't go into commentary. Holy shit. I mean, he already used up his, his best line of, of the test match. Anything he said on camera wasn't going to line up to what getting Scott Kugline out and sledging him with no means no. Did did he? Did Lyon actually say that? It was reported that he mouthed it. It wasn't picked up by the mics. Wow. That is – oh, my – like, I've always admired Nathan Lyon, but – Oh, you've changed I'm, your tune. <laughs> but that is just fantastic. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I believe all bad things happening to the New Zealand test team for the next decade. All right, come a result. Nobody knows why Scott Kugelan is in that fucking team. He's warm up for this. Even if you set aside the fact that he is self-evidently a piece of shit human being. Yeah. On form. Why is he there? His warm up for this was playing the domestic T20 and the fucking overseas T20. He hadn't been playing fucking red ball cricket. What what was he, why did he get a gig over fucking Neil Wagner in his, in his farewell series? It's just a it, – they deserve to get beaten by an innings as a result of that yeah. fucking stupidity. Um, that's probably enough test cricket. <laughs> I would have thought so. The race – So now we're going to talk about, what, Marsh Cup or <laughs> – That's right. Plunkett Shield? <laughs> the, the Marsh Cup that, whose final was played in a stadium with no seating because – they couldn't get North Sydney Oval or some reason. Oh, that they do have like a like an academy set up. You can go there. It's yeah. it's a it's like a village green setup. It's a bit like yeah, yeah, New Zealand have a, have a cricket centre of excellence at Lincoln University. Same kind of deal. I mean, you're welcome to go there, but who the fuck was going to go and watch New South Wales versus WA? WA in fucking it's in the Homebush Olympic precinct. Precincts, yeah. But I, I just I just love it when the ticket says "Bring your own seat." <laughs> to be honest, it looked it looked kind of. Old school and rustic Quaint, and grass, yeah. ba- you know, grass banks and all that kind of stuff. Look like the University Oval a little bit. Well, when they were talking about redeveloping the Gabba, which I think they've given up on, um, aren't they getting Olympics money for that? No, they've 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 kiboshed it because they don't want to have three years without three or four years without AFL or um, Test cricket because oh, that's okay. essentially. So, so what are they going to do? They're just going to do up what used to be QE two. I uh, don't know. Don't really care. Just leave it as it is. Like 1982 fucking Matilda, you know, Brisbane Commonwealth Games spec. Just leave QE2 exactly how it is, I, where it is. Yeah, the, the, the thing with, uh, I don't know, it's it's a little bit like, you know, we talk about innovation in rugby league and how, you know, some of the sports science stuff and some of the attitudes towards trying shit is sort of decades behind, you know, the NFL and the NBA and, and European soccer. And I sort of feel the same about Australian stadiums. Like the redesign that they had was like, okay, may- maybe go and do an American stadium tour and see some of the actual good things that they're doing yeah. in those stadiums. Moving bravely into the 1990s. Yeah, that's that's sort of how it 
you know, and they're like, oh, you're going to have this amazing atrium when you walk in. It's like, who gives a fuck? Like, if it keeps the brain off. You're you're walking through or you're walking out. Like, could you actually get some decent catering or, you know, some seats that aren't, that though, though the flip side is those Indian stadiums where they're just like, all we care about is ground records so we're gonna we're gonna make the seats as, as small as and un- uncomfortable as possible because we really don't care about your your seating put it in an area of the area of town where everyone's quite skinny because they're underfed i suppose yeah and 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 steve Ballmer is definitely not uh in charge of that stadium because i think there was like two toilets for one hundred and twenty thousand people yeah that that, that um, is you'd say that's taking the piss but it's actually the opposite of that yeah so transitioning to our basketball podcast welcome back to trimming mm. balls the trimming Welcome back to the Bulls podcast. We saw this week the very last, barring playoffs, um, hallway series between the Lakers and the Clippers. And the Clippers had been, be- been beating the shit out of the Lakers all year and including in that game. And then LeBron just sort of went, nah, and one twenty 20-point comeback later. The Lakers are terrifying because they they have that ceiling. And I suppose the dubs are, are that as well. It's almost it's not enough to make you think, oh, I'll tank my way out of having to play a play-in team just in case I have to play the Lakers or the dubs. But it's you've got to kind of hope that you get that they don't put four of those games together. Well, and I realise I'm starting this. I've started our basketball podcast off on the most fucking ESPN debate show. Fucking, <laughs> who's got a better chance of making the postseason, the Lakers or the Warriors? Well, that that's the thing, right? If you are trying to tank your way into seedings, you might want the seven or eight to play the unproven sides at in the Thunder and the and the Timberwolves, but. The play-in has sort of absolutely negated that because you can have one bad game and be out on your ass. So you've got to – you absolutely have to try and get into the 5-6 spot where you might get Denver at home. But then uh, I saw this week that Minnesota and Denver have three games left this season. So the top of the West has a massive potential swing because – you know, Denver could get the one spot simply, or, or the Thunder could get the one spot simply by Denver winning two of those three games and them just cruising through the rest of their schedule, you know, relatively at, at relatively the same pace as everybody else. Yeah, I think Denver, the interesting thing is that Denver, well, I don't remember who it was from Denver said this, but Denver have been saying in post, uh, post-match post interviews. No, I don't know if it was Malone, but it was one of the players, but if Malone has been saying it as well, we yeah, want the Malone number one. Has, yeah. We want the number one. Oh, that, okay. Because because Malone's been saying the opposite. He's like, no, I want, I want, a, I want a healthy side for the finals. Well, the players are saying we want the number one. Yeah. What's interesting though, they have a they they have a fairly middling strength of schedule. That their opposition teams for the rest of the for the next the rest of the games are, are under five hundred, and they only have one back to back. Whereas in the next in the rest of the games they have to play uh, 12, 12 at home, ten away, and you know one one back to back versus say Sacramento or the Clippers who have six in their schedule remaining. So yeah. Minnesota have five back-to-backs and, and their strength of schedule opposition is is over is over 500. It's not terrible. It's not fucking um, Phoenix bad, which is almost 600, but it's not good. It's a lot It's a lot to do. So you can you pretty comfortably see. Um, I, th- I think Denver will just, you know, a little bit like Man City in the Premier League, they'll just accrue enough wins to end up at the top, no matter yeah, what, but- what Malone wants to do. 
for them, the little bit of extra effort is probably worth it, right? Because they've got an absolute, they have an absolute clear home advantage. Yeah. But if you're the Clippers, why? Like, well, also, I think the decision's <laughs> being made for the Clippers, really, with with yeah. the, the strength of schedule, with the six back to backs, and with um, Paul George being injured and Russ busted his hand today. So yeah, the injuries are coming for the Clippers, just not in the way that they thought they would. And then. You know, everyone's sort of like, oh, the Pelicans are probably, you know, the Pelicans and the Kings are sort of the two sides in the top 10. Top 10, this is nuts, eh? The top 10, you you literally actually have a proper top 10 in the West. Yeah. All 10 teams. You you could not- All 10 teams are over 500. All 10 teams are, you know, they're within 10 games of of Minnesota. You could absolutely convince me that the, the Warriors or the Lakers could win the championship this year. It'd well, that's be because hard. of their ceiling. I mean, yeah. they are a couple of games behind Sacramento and that you can't convince me that Sacramento could, could win. The, the, no. The, and, and you couldn't convince me that New Orleans could either. So No, but the, the Pelicans just keep rolling out pretty decent wins. I know, but I feel like they're, they're kind of a regular season accrual kind of yeah. teams. I just don't – I have to kind of see it to believe it. Yeah, it's funny. I, I was talking to a couple of my players about we've got 31 – Teams in our in our um, division in World Cup, and they couldn't make it an even thirty-two, so they can have a knockout comp. Uh, I think it's just whichever country nominates. I a think groups of four, but I think only probably four of those thirty-one sides have an actual genuine game-winning player. Like a lot of them are really well drilled and 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 can do shit really well, but there's probably only four sides with with an out and out weapon and. I know Zion is theoretically an out-and-out weapon, but they don't really feel like... Like, that's the thing about the Lakers, right? No matter that the dude's 39, LeBron is still just one of those players that can win any game in any situation if, if you know, if the dice fall the right way and he's feeling it. He'll just go and do it. Now, can he do it for four to seven games for four rounds? That's a different sort of question, but... Yeah, and he couldn't a, do it last in a, year. In a single game? Absolutely, like... Yeah, but that'll get them out of the play-in. It won't get them through the first round of the playoffs. No, which is which is why Dallas, the Pelicans, the Clippers, uh, all those teams in the four, five, six absolutely want to be keeping on winning because at least that guarantees you a seven-game series. You do not want to be in that seven-eight having no. to face a Golden State or a Lakers, and both of those teams want to get into the seven or eight to give themselves a chance at having a bad game and still getting a second chance at it, all right? Well, Golden State and LA are only three games behind Phoenix in fifth. So the, getting out of there has never been more attainable than it is right now. And particularly yeah. Phoenix have got a pretty ordinary run in front of them and New Orleans and Sacramento are ahead of them in the uh, in the standings. But <sighs> I, don't, I don't really feel like I'd be too worried about the Golden State's chances of running them down. I mean, Golden State have got a fairly soft schedule the rest of the way. Yeah. Um, the Lakers have a pretty tough schedule, uh, but they don't have as many back-to-backs as some of these other teams. And I guess then the big interesting thing out in the East is Milwaukee's just, they've looked really good. Like, they've looked so much better than they were before. But they- <laughs> Don't fix their defense. In their last 10 games, they've been third in defense the entire league. Only behind Minnesota, who are like so much better than everybody else, it's terrifying. And Miami, who are, who are so much better than the next best team, it's terrifying. But the Bucks have a pretty decent West Coast run coming up. I'm just trying to bring it up. And that'll be the... Because 
like you know, they mean smashing the hornets and the bulls and smashing is probably not quite right because some of these games have been a bit closer than they fucking needed to be. But let's. But then again, they might run into the Clippers without Paul George and and Russ or uh, like I, I I'd really like to see them beat a couple of really good sides before. We just certainly the, the East is so funny because they've got these teams that are playing well that you just don't trust. Like the the, the Celtics are smashing everybody, but like they haven't lost hardly any games. And I just have zero faith if they lost in the first round against some of those absolute powder puff seven eight teams in the East. I would not be surprised. I just I cannot. I cannot seem to get rid of my scepticism on them. They have won their last 10 games in a row. They are the number one net <laughs> offense. They're the number one net team overall. Uh, they are on track for more than 62 wins. And yeah. I don't trust them as far as I could kick them. It's, it's strange, hey? Is it just is it just that Joe Mazzola exists and is still watching, wearing out his VHS copy of the, of the town? Is it because Jason Tatum genuinely thinks he's the best player in the NBA, which means he has absolutely no peripheral vision? I think it's also that they just take a lot of threes. And and when that doesn't work, it devolves into ISO shit, and it's ugly ISO yeah, shit. Yeah, they don't seem to have a plan B, a little bit like that Rockets-Golden State game where they were yeah. just missing three after three after three, and it's like, you guys are leading by so much. Maybe just score a couple of twos. Yeah. <laughs> and they just kept bombing away and missing, and it's like, uh, do, do you guys have a plan B? And that comes back to the coaching, right, because you've got zero faith that the coaching does have a plan B. We've got zero faith in the coaching, full stop. I mean, I think Joe Mazzulla isn't a complete moron, but he's not at the level to be coaching this team. So Milwaukee have the Clippers, the Warriors, the Lakers, the Lakers, Sacramento, Philly, not worried about Phoenix, Philly. Boston, Brooklyn, which is pretty easy. So, what? That's a reasonable. It's you know, it's not not exactly the top of the West. But that's an interesting... But they will get to dictate what happens in the West. A lot of what happens in the West will depend on how well people play against Milwaukee. And Mm. and also, you know, Dave might like being back on the West Coast where, you know, nearer to his family for a bit. Maybe the time zone works better for his boxing videos and the other things that he does to stop himself being bored to death. Some of the stories about what... How miserable a life he lives in Milwaukee, which is like, oh man, that's rough. (laughs) And then I just... I can't work the rest of the East out. Like, Atlanta and Chicago have good wins and then absolutely terrible wins. You know, Miami has no good players and beats really good teams and then has players and loses games. Yeah, but they're incredibly good on defense. That four to eight in the East is actually pretty tight. There's one and a half games between fourth and eighth. What's interesting, though, is that fourth is New York at 12 and a half games off Boston. That's more than the tenth team is in the in the West. Yeah. But no, you're right. That there is nothing between um, fourth and eighth, and then there's a massive drop off to Chicago and Atlanta, who are only are only here to get their one playing game. That that brief moment where we felt we had parity between the East and West has definitely passed. Quite I mean, quickly. the best team in the the league is Boston. I know we've said that we don't believe they'll win, or we we have doubts whether they won't shoot the bed, but they're overwhelmingly the best team in the league. Yes, by record, I would agree. I mean, what else is there? They count the wins, and the wins go in the wins column. Uh, I know. And Boston have 47 of them, and Minnesota have 42. Yeah. Would you back Boston in a seven-game series against Denver, OKC, or the Timber Puppies? 
Uh, I'd probably back them against um, those two teams that have never been in, in anything like this before. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I'd back them against um, against Denver because I think Denver are going to win. Denver are just timing their run, but they, they're going to they're going to end up first in the in the West, and then they're going to they're going to cruise to this title. I just think unless unless Jamal Murray gets injured. Or you know, well, that, did did Riley's ankle or continues to be injured because he's, he's yeah. a bit fragile? Did, did we hear how? Unless bad Michael that- Porter Jr. continues to talk absolute shit <laughs> and get Kyrie'd. The, the one of the things that that Golden State game, right? Because Golden State had had a bit of a hot streak, and it was like a really good test because you know Denver had been a bit cold before the All Star break. Golden State had been really hot. Yeah, and sixth sixth in the last ten games, sixth on offense, eighth in defense. And you know Draymond, as well as talking shit off the off the court, was you know saying how he was this all world defender. And and one of the things I really love about Jokic is if he has a bad game or series against a player, it's almost like he goes back and crunches tape and makes it a point that that player or that team will never, never ever embarrass him again because since they lost that series without. Murray and and Porter to Golden State in the second round. The the record is ten and one against Golden State, and I don't know if you watched that game, but but Jokic was just absolutely fucking up all the stuff that Draymond liked to do, like all those little you know it goes into Draymond and then then back out you know dribble hand like he was deflections and and you know reading plays and getting in passing lanes like he like he looked like the Draymond Green sort of figure in defense that, that Draymond's known for. And then on the top of that, he was like the greatest defensive player <laughs> to ever play the fucking game. I just, it, I'd really love to see a finals matchup between him and Embiid where, he, where he'd have seven games to figure him out because that's that's where I feel like he, one of his real underrated strengths is, is that he can just process a team and a player and the more... The more he gets to play them, the more he works them out, or the more effort he puts into working them out, the the better that, that Denver goes against them tactically. My immediate reaction to that was that Joel Embiid will never play in a final series. So yeah. unfortunately, that and, and then I had That's, to think about that and like, do I genuinely believe that Joel Embiid will never make a finals? And I think I think I do. Mm. I think I, I I can't ever unless unless he ends up as a you know, end of his career ring chasing. I don't believe that the Philadelphia story ends in the finals ever. Just because the whole thing is so fragile and fraught, and it always there's always a po- we've used the fucking Death Star exhaust port metaphor many times, but it's so easy to hit, and it gets hit every fucking year. He, he might the only way he might do it is that Bill Walton on the Celtics. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Run. He, the only way he can do it is being a big man off the bench later in his career, but he's he won't be he will never be in that position that you describe where um, Jokic and let's be honest, Jokic does not need. Seven games to figure out Joel Embiid. No, he's already no. figured out Joel Embiid to the point where Joel Embiid never turns up to play him anymore. The bit of news from this week is that Joel Embiid thinks he's going to be back later in the season, by which point Philadelphia will have dropped into the play. Yeah, and and that's the thing, right? Like Embiid had that really good game against him, and I don't think they've – have they played, I think, one game in Philly since, uh, which was a really good game and, and the Sixers won, but I wouldn't say – uh, I wouldn't say it was like a, a whitewash. It was sort of like a, a draw of a game because I think Embiid had like 45 and Jokic had, you know, 20-20 and 
15 or something. Your best hope is that Daryl Morey trades Embiid to the Western Conference somehow for picks. Yeah, yeah. So maybe you get like a 3-6 matchup one year or something. Yeah, trade him to fucking, I don't know. Who, who would who would be nutty enough to trade to trade for Embiid? Um, Mark Cuban's well, Mavericks would, but I'm not sure anybody yeah. else's Mavericks might. Phoenix? <laughs> would just send back. Send back all the parts they had. Um, not I don't know. all the parts they had, but send back all the old dudes. Well, that's the, that's the old the old uh, NBA center. Should we talk about the future of the NBA center that hopefully we'll get to see in finals matchups for a decade to come? Jock Londo. <laughs> I, had that thought, was awesome. I had a thought today because I, I probably shouldn't have thought. Yeah. I found myself getting really irritated with all the, the Chet Wemby or the Wet and Chemby, as No Dunks call them, dialogue. And it, it, the main reason I think I, I finally came to the conclusion is that the narrative around the NBA is so obsessed with what's coming next and it never fucking pays attention to what's here now. It's always well, what's yeah, coming hang, fucking hang, next. Hang on. You could, you could say Chet's here now. That side is going to maybe get the one seed in the West. They are here right now. Yeah, but which- Chet only exists in this discussion as a point of comparison to say, gee, that guy's unlucky that he's a rookie this year because he's got no chance of winning the rookie of the year. And it's all about Webby, 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 Webby. Which is well, fine because you should be going Webby, 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 Webby. But Wemby's not here yet. He can do freak show shit and he can rack up absolute Hollywood numbers, but he's on a fucking terrible team. He's not relevant to winning. But, the, you know, the, it's just this obsession with what what comes next. It reminds me of surfing because surfing has always had that. And, and um, there's a, a WSL podcast by one of the lead heads in what was the ASP and now it's the WSL. talks often about the way that surfing trades on youth so intensively that it never actually takes into consideration what's here now. It's not good at promoting what's here now. And I really think that's, you know, I know, I know part of this is because we have a Boston team t- running away with the East that we're not really too sure of. And it's a bit of a a bit of a rock fight in the West. We don't really know who the, there aren't any great teams, and a lot of the, the great greats, you know, the the fucking crowned heads are fading and falling. But I'd like to fucking talk about the good basketball teams that, are, that exist right now, rather than a eleven win, twelve win team now after they beat OKC. It's that's just something that I just I've realised that it was irritating me a lot. This, this obsession with Champion Wet. Well, I've done well, it again. Wemby and Chet. But um, I think Bon Bon Temps put it really well in that he's like Wemby will probably win Rookie of the Year. And well, probably should should statistically. Well, I I also have an issue with that because I I think I think that Rookie of the Year is being judged by a completely different structure to all the other awards, and I know that's historically what it has well, been. I think it- but I I think that impacting on winning should trump absolutely everything, and that's clearly not the case for Rookie of the Year in terms of the way that people people just want cool kid racking huge numbers. And that's how we got Michael Carter Williams as rookie. I'm not, I'm not comparing the two, other than the fact that they're going to be rookie of the year. But the guy who impacts winning matters more to me. Well, um, I don't think Wemby's going to run away with it. I think your I think your view will influence a lot of people, and I think no, I think I think it's done. No. I think it's done after the, because they've played they've played a one on one game. Even though fucking OKC beat the shit out of them the previous two times yeah. this year, I think it, it all the narrative out of out of all of fucking NBA Twitter and all NBA podcasting is it's done, it's over, crown him. And I thought, well, fucking no. twelve wins is a lot fewer than fucking forty one. Uh, but but I, I guess that. But that's but that's not how rookie of the year is, is decided. It's usually on on narrative and feels. And okay, if we're going to do well, it that way, then we're going to do it that so way. And so is MVP to it to an extent. Otherwise, it would probably be a lot different. You know, like, uh, yeah, there's only been one year where a, a dude on a team that was a little bit meh got got, got the award, and that was because Russ yeah. averaged a triple double. But, but Bontemps made a really good point in that, like, 
Wemby will probably Wemby probably wants to win rookie of the year. You know, the dude wants to win everything. He wants to win, you know, get a, a game of fucking snap on the plane. But he wants to win the skills challenge in, in All Star. But what's what's probably going to be really interesting for the Spurs, who probably went into this year thinking that they could do the OKC model right with Shea, which is three years of sucking, build up build up your your bank of good young players with all the picks, you know, surround him with the right, you know, build sustainably. I don't know whether they're going to have that luxury now. No, I, I think you're right. I know that we had a long discussion about the future of the Spurs and whether we actually thought they were capable of building a contender. But you're right in that the time frame is, is much more condensed than they thought it was going to be and that they're not going to be yeah. able to build this slowly. Now, having said and, that, and I- most, Spurs, most good Spurs teams weren't built slowly. They were, no. you know... Draft him, draft fucking Tony, draft Manu. Let's go. Yeah. So the 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 fact that what what is really going to burn Wemby this off season because that rivalry with Chet is a real thing. It's not it's not a a media. Ne- I feel like it isn't anymore after after yesterday. I think, uh, I think Chet will be keeping his fucking head down. Yeah, he got cooks, man. Oh, he got cooked, but he also did a lot of really good shit. Like, oh, that doesn't matter though, because the internet has cooked him. He's already been in. I'm sure Worldwide Wob put him in the graveyard. You know, you know the fucking Aaron Baines Memorial <laughs> Graveyard for people who got dunked on and all that kind of shit. Uh, yeah, and if that, that shit matters far far too much for NBA discourse. But 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 the thing that, that that's going to burn Wemby is he's going to have to watch Chet probably for two rounds, maybe more, actually play. And yep. it's like, well, impacting on winning. Okay, I, I want a rookie of the year, but I don't actually want that. I want what he's got. Get me to where that dude is. I, I want to be playing him in in big games in June, not not fucking meaningless round games. And like, I actually think that 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 is going to be some real motivation and some real angst for him. And and I think he like he's the he's an interesting sort of guy. Like, I don't think he's going to be. That passive aggressive LeBron type, you know, you guys need to get me some help. But I think he'll clearly just go to the front office and go, "Hey, I'm doing a lot better than what everyone thought I would. We need to accelerate this program, and we need to do it now." So, and the, and the Spurs are not the organization to do that with because they'll say, "Sit the fuck down, son." And uh, I don't, and, and, okay, the, the, I, I don't know whether they will. That no, but you, the Spurs are the Spurs. They don't fucking yield for anybody. They didn't yield for Kawhi Leonard. It was more talented than anybody they had on that fucking team. Yeah, I think they. I think they've got a pretty good realization of what Wemby is and what he could possibly do for them. And, I don't know, man. And, and they think they are the fucking military. So sure, they, they are the Patriots, man. They think sure. they're above all this shit. And if if Kawhi had never happened, I'd agree with you. But it's sort of like, oh, we've been burnt once. Do we really? Do we really want? Two Kawhis on our resume. I don't think I don't they know. care what the outside world thinks. I think they just think they just care about doing it the way that they do it. Yeah, and this, this is part of why I don't think they're gonna. I think they are gonna pay, end up like the Patriots. They're gonna just gonna keep drinking their own bathwater and believing their own systems and doing it the Patriot way slash the Spurs way. But, but this is this is what makes this off season one of the most. I think one of the most fascinating off seasons kicking around because the, the Spurs have never been the big all in trade sort of team. But they have the they actually have the assets to do it. They they have what two or three Atlanta picks and two swaps. They have all their own picks. They have a couple of other like pretty good second round picks. Like they have the ammunition to go and put another uh, to, to, to get to, to get to a place where they would be in the seven six seven eight discussion next year. 
I believe. Will, will they pull a, pull a show? A lot, I just, I'm just really fascinated to see whether they can actually do it um, or whether they just trust, you know, trust the process. Are they going to trust the process and just keep on keep on doing what they do? And trade for Joel Embiid, as we were talking about before. You have two yeah. fucking yeah, twin, twin French-speaking bigs. Just they have the biggest team in the world. Well, well, actually, that that's not another- quite true because Wemby's not a big man. He's a tall man. Embiid's a big man. Yeah. And Wemby could probably play point guard if you wanted him to. I think he um, might have to. But that was another interesting little side note is, sh- should Chet be playing in the Olympic team rather than Embiid? He's Well, Embiid shouldn't be-, be playing in the Olympic team. But, you know, the thing yeah. is Embiid won't make the Olympic team because he'll be broken. Yeah. Embiid playing the United States is bullshit. Just, you know, it's a Paolo Bancaro level bullshit. Yeah, there's an, argu- there's an argument that Chet's the best centre that the, the US have had for ages anyway and certainly fits into the type of players that they have. I don't know. I don't know how well Chet would go in international ball against FIBA centers. But- oh. <laughs> Speaking of, should we talk about the biggest bit of xenophobic basketball podcasting this week? Did you see the Gilbert Arena stuff today? No, I was off living my life and enjoying myself. I don't, I don't have fucking email alerts set up for Gilbert Arenas. <laughs> Howard Beckery tweeted this, so that, that's where I saw it. But he basically said that the the NBA softened the league to get European because the European players didn't want to come over because they were worried that they get hurt. And the NBA softened the league for the Euros. And I'm like, have you seen a game of Serbian basketball? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Yeah, because when you think Vlade Divac, you think soft, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Agent Zero is a very, very yes. strange man. Yeah, he he's the cup price perk. And that's saying something. Uh, well, no, I would per- say, no, well beyond what Perk, I mean, Perk just says stuff because it sounds interesting on television. Arenas yeah. believes this stuff because he's touched in the fucking head. He's giving a certain insight of to what Kyrie is going to be like as a podcaster post-career. No, no, I need you to understand this. Agent Zero is more mental than anybody this side of Ron Artest. <laughs> go look up, readers, if you, listeners, if you're not aware of this, go look up the fucking transcript of what went on in that fucking Washington locker room when he oh, and yeah. Gerard Scrittenden almost shot the place up. Yeah. The man was pointing a loaded gun at him and he was he just grinned. Yeah. Anyway, I thought, I thought that was pretty funny. I'd say he's got the order of operations wrong. Or... Those two things happened, but they were connected. They made it softer because uh, people got sick of seeing Michael Jordan getting gang tackled and, and destroyed. And they got sick of games that went fucking 88 to 92. Yeah. Have they gone too far the other way? Probably. Yes. And I think there'll be, there'll be a course correction. Problem uh, is that probably- I think everything, anything they do will have unintended consequences. Oh, for sure. And that's that's one of the fun things about the NBA, right, is the NBA. Oh, yeah, it's fun that we got fucking James Harden shooting threes and fouls, foul shots. That that was the That's the unintended consequence of the last fucking changes they made. So, yeah, good. Uh, you know, that, that they, they make a rule change and with, you know, probably fairly well-meaning attitudes and then it goes completely sideways in ways they never anticipated. Though, to, to be fair to them, they cleaned up that you know, the Trey Young stopping and, and sort of letting guys run into his back and falling over fouls that he was getting. They, they seem to have eradicated that out of the league. So maybe yeah. they... And, and then they eradicated Trey Young out of the league because he's injured. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know what Atlanta are going to do next. They obviously, they've, they've, waived, they've waived Patrick Mills, mm. who will be a buyout contender because he's relatively cheap. Although at buyout levels, you are always relatively cheap. And he's still like he's played a couple of games this year where he's hit a few threes. He, yeah, he could still but, but be a. He wasn't. He wasn't in the rotation for a fairly terrible 
Atlanta team, for a 26 and 33 Atlanta team. Yeah. So if you can't make the rotation for a bad Atlanta team, I'm not sure what you're bringing to anyone else. But the advantage that Pat will have over some of the more, like the Kyle Lowry's and people like that, is that because he's relatively cheap, he's more likely to go to a contender because there's a limit yeah, on... That, that, that's right. He can, if, he you're, can. if you've got a good record and, and somebody has, has been a high, highly paid person who's been bought out, you can't access them the same way. Slightly weird sliding scale thing going. He, he could go to Golden State or Milwaukee or or one of those teams. Denver, he'd be interesting on Denver. They need they need a bit of point guard. Depth. They need they need point guard shooting. That, that uh, would of, actually, of course, the obvious the obvious link is for him to go to fucking. I mean, it's not it's not for a title, but go to the Spurs and run the point and help teach them teach them some shit. But I don't really think they're going to be doing that. Oh, I could see that next season where he he turns into the Udonis Haslam end of the bench. You know, do do the right thing, guy. But I actually well, particularly think- because they don't have anybody on that Spurs team who remembers what a title felt like. Yeah, and Patty was but- there for at least one, possibly two, but two. he was there for at least one. Yeah, I could see him doing that. But but D- Denver is quite interesting because they have sort of Reggie Jackson as the point guard, but he's more of a shooting guard than a point guard. And I know they've got Jokic, so do you ever really need a point guard? But uh, Jokic sits down at points. That's kind yeah, of the nature of basketball is that eventually you get tired and you have to have a seat. You know, someone to run sets for Michael Porter to bomb away from three is is probably not a bad thing for two or three minutes a half. Uh, get himself yeah, a that, cheap ring. Yeah. And, and like he's he's played in that because he played in that, you know, move the move the rock Spurs system, he would actually slot straight into that Jokic system pretty pretty seamlessly, I would think. Yeah, although keep in mind that every team today is playing so much quicker than every mm. movement offense team of, of the noughts and even the tens. I mean, it's an obvious stat and people have heard it before, but the, that seven seconds or, le- or less Suns team would be yeah, it's like dead last. comfortably like way slower yeah. than any yeah. team that plays basketball. It's insane month. now. It is preposterous, like yeah. 0.7 seconds or less. Yeah. All right, Doc, have you got any other sporting takes you'd like to unload before we nah. come back and talk some tunes? Nah, we had a little bit of hope that, that Formula One might be interesting when Max Verstappen wasn't fastest in all the practice sessions. Uh, but now he's on pole for the fucking Formula One, so fuck that. But the, um, well, I think the, well, Endurance I think Championship ne- is literally about to start as, as we record this uh, for their, their first I, I race think, of the year. I think the next fastest thing is their drone, isn't it? You mean Christian Horner. <laughs> I said that one up really nicely for you. Um, all right, let's come back and talk some tunes. Yeah. <laughs> I was, anything I was going to say about Christian Horner was probably going to be actionable. So. <laughs> yeah, and again, it didn't stop me going after Scott Kugelheim, so maybe I should just hide the fuck up. Yeah, that's fair. Can't like your, co- your, your comments are fair, not 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 the other thing. All right, I'll, I'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs> These are only my opinions. These are not backed up by facts. Fair cunts, though. The funniest bit of narrative that I heard this week that wasn't we didn't mention basketball was that the suggestion that Luca went out and scored seventy three on the Hawks as revenge against Wes Matthews for owing him five figures for trick shot bets that he hasn't paid up. So apparently everyone oh, everyone real. bets bets with Luca on trick shots and Luca keeps winning and cleaning everybody out. So this is what he does instead of winning in card games. That's that's very Jordan areas, isn't it? It is. It is. They're they're doing. Uh, I don't know. That the West is so stacked that that you don't even it, think about the Mavs. The Mavs are really no. good. Uh, like and, they lost today like, in in 
they they lost today, but they before then they were the number one. They, they were fucking third net in the last ten games. They were absolutely could, could killing. You, could you see two or three? Like if two or three of the the top seeds in the West lost in the first round, I would not be shocked. Like the only thing that would shock me is if the Kings won the first round. That is the only, the, probably the only outcome. Like even the Suns winning in well, a first round series would not shock me. At this stage, it would be a shock if the fucking Kings made it out of the play-in. Yeah, because first they'd have to, they'd either have to beat currently the Mavericks, or if they lose that, they have to beat the winner of the Dubs and the fucking yeah. Lakers. And we know that those teams are probably going to rise higher, so that their play-in prospects are going to be worse. They're not going to have the, the double chance the way things are going. Mm. If, yeah. if, if the, the Lakers and, and the Clippers improve. So. All right. I'll be back. <laughs>